Hey, welcome to Plant Yourself. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Two quick announcements before we get to today's show. If you're interested in becoming a health coach, I'm offering another run due to popular demand for people who can't make 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Eastern Time. So we're doing another run of the program, which will meet the practicums will meet at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, Eastern Time U.S., which means if you're in Europe or Africa, uh, that might be good for you. Also, if you're in the US and evenings aren't good and you have free time in the mornings, either 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific time or 10 to 1130 Eastern, then you can participate. If you want to find out more about becoming a wicked effective health coach, you can go to wellstartcoach.com. Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. Hey, Howard Jacobson here. I got something new for you. I'm going to try this out, see how it goes. So I've been posting newsletters every week for a few months now, and a lot of people aren't reading them because they don't read and they like to listen. And I thought, why don't I just narrate them? So on Fridays, I'm going to be dropping additional episodes of Plant Yourself podcast, and I'm thinking of calling these fertilizers. Um, because they're meant to fertilize your growth and your development around healthy habits, healthy lifestyle. So this first one is sponsored by my coaching. If you would like to get personal one on one attention for up to an entire year working with me privately, you can do that. And it costs less than you think. If you want to know more, go to plantyourself.com slash laser. That was my first ad. That was weird. Okay, here we go. Today's episode, today's fertilizer. Should you sanitize your environment? The public health crisis was going to be unprecedented and catastrophic. As the Americans clumsily extricated themselves from the Vietnam War in the early 1970s, tens of thousands of U.S. troops would be returning home. And by some estimates, 90% of them had become addicted to heroin during their tour of duty. How in the world was American society going to absorb all these broken souls, these addicts? What kind of law enforcement push was needed to contain the crime wave that would inevitably crash down on our cities and towns? Where were we going to find and pay for all the mental health professionals and detox facilities that would be required? And when would the troops be ready to assimilate back into their communities, into society, into the job market? Pentagon officials, politicians, and civil servants braced themselves for a long, hard battle, a different kind of war. And it simply didn't happen. Only about 5% of the addicted soldiers maintained their dependence on heroin after they returned home. Most simply dropped the habit as soon as the conditions under which they had adopted it were gone. Their heroin use, far from an uncontrollable pathology, was simply self-medication in the face of the horrific experience of war in Southeast Asia. They sought a way out of the stress and danger, and the drug was cheap, plentiful, and easily obtainable. Once they left the jungles and ambushes, the rice paddies and snipers, the alienation and confusion, their need disappeared. So when their supply dried up, they moved on. Lessons from the epidemic that wasn't. 
Behavioral scientists love this story because it supports the prevailing narrative about habit formation and disruption. People form habits as remembered solutions to recurring problems and drop those habits when the environmental cues that trigger them are removed. That's not the whole story, and you can argue correctly that I've oversimplified, but it's accurate enough. Here's the crux of the argument, well presented in Wendy Wood, PhD's new book, Good Habits, Bad Habits. Habits are the brain's way of not having to think so hard, make the behavior automatic, and create an unconscious link between a trigger and the behavior, and you've got a habit. If you want to disrupt the habit, disrupt the trigger. Get the soldiers out of Vietnam and all the cues, stress and drug, disappear. Habit extinguished. Remove the cookies from the kitchen and you won't run the circuitry that creates a craving. Take a different route home and the golden arches won't entice you to swing by the drive-thru for a large fries. Turn off the phone and you won't constantly check Instagram and Twitter. As far as you can clean up your environment, removing those triggers for unwanted behaviors, do it. The research is clear and unequivocal. But is that always the best solution? Yes and no. The fragility of a perfect environment. There are a couple of downsides to sanitizing your environment to make sin impossible, or at least extremely difficult. First, you can't always control your environment. There's a saying, you can carpet the world or you can just wear shoes. One of those options is a lot more manageable than the other. One requires a gargantuan degree of control over your surroundings. The other requires that you control only your own footwear. When you rely on environmental purity to maintain good behavior, you're fragile because you can't control your environment. Not all the time and not to the extent that you'd need to. And even when you can, part of your mind is going to be freaking out, anticipating that horrible moment when you're going to lose that control. Wendy Wood actually makes this case in her book, in a story about getting a new car that beeped when it drew near to an obstacle. She didn't like it at first, but gradually grew to depend on the feature, which is why the first thing she did upon renting a car that didn't make those warning sounds was to reverse into a wall. Without realizing it, Wood had developed a dependence on a feature that she had never needed and wasn't crazy about, so much so that her ability to drive was impaired by its absence. Instead of relying on her own eyes, she had outsourced her judgment to an external cue that was not dependable. If the only thing stopping you from eating cookies is avoiding all sights and smells of them, you've got to carpet the world. Sure, you can ban them from your house, as long as no one you live with objects. Sure, you can avoid that aisle in the supermarket, or maybe avoid the supermarket entirely and send someone else to do your shopping for you. Sure, you can stop socializing with colleagues and friends and family at all gatherings where cookies might be present. But wouldn't you rather just be able to say no to cookies? Where did AFCO go? When I first got into coaching, I learned a charming acronym, AFCO, A-F-G-O. It stands for Another Freaking Growth Opportunity, or Near Enough. We used it ironically to put a positive spin on our screw-ups, heated arguments, and the annoying situations we experienced. Waiting in line at the supermarket because the person checking out insists that their expired coupons be honored? AFCO. Forgot to mail your taxes by the 15th, so now you owe penalties and interest? AFCO. 
The giant tray of your favorite cookies at the Super Bowl party? You get the idea. AFCO. Life is really one long series of AFCOs if you look at it a certain way. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because AFCOs are growth opportunities. Sure, there are opportunities for tantrums and headbanging and self-recrimination and anger and misery too, but that's actually the point. Your response isn't automatic. It's a choice. Even if you could remove all triggers for unwanted behaviors from your environment, which you can't, you'd be shutting off your most powerful engine of personal growth. The crux of the matter. We can twist ourselves into pretzels trying to figure out why we keep engaging in self-sabotaging behavior. Why'd I eat that box of cookies when I'm trying to lose weight? Why'd I order Thai takeout when I had a fridge full of fresh produce? Why'd I skip the gym and sit on the couch watching the first season of Taxi on Netflix? Yes, it's there if you buy the CBS All Access Pass. We like to make this complicated, but the answer is always the same. You did that thing because it distracted you from an unwanted feeling. You were using the food or the entertainment as a bright, shiny object, so you didn't have to focus on an undesired internal state. Maybe you ate the cookies because you were stressed out. Maybe you ordered Thai takeout because you felt lonely. Maybe you chose Louis and Latka over legs and lats because you were sad. If you aren't familiar with taxi, just know that was a clever alliterative reference. Thank you very much. The roots go down. And here's the beautiful thing about those negative feelings. They are giant AFCOs. Obviously, we don't want to respond to them by eating or entertaining ourselves into distraction. We don't want to get high to divert ourselves from our lows. When you have a safe, sanitized environment, you've anticipated all those moments of potential weakness and set up workarounds. You choose fruit instead of cookies. You start your Instant Pot as a slow cooker in the morning, so dinner's ready-made and aromatic by the time you get home. You drive straight to the gym from work, with your gym bag always packed in the trunk of your car so you don't have to deal with the need to choose that plan of action. All rational and effective choices. And for a while, they may be exactly what you need to stay on the straight and narrow. The downside is you miss the opportunity to sit and struggle with the negative feelings that lurk beneath the surface. Those negative feelings are the beginnings of deep roots. They lead to your sense of not feeling safe in the world, to your fear of abandonment, to your worry that you aren't enough, Whatever your core internal struggles, those feelings, if given space to express, will bring you face to face with them. And that can be terrifying if you don't have the tools and support and ego strength to deal with them. But when you're ready, facing the feelings you have been avoiding your whole life is the most profound act of liberation you can take. As my friend and teacher Peter Bregman writes, if you are willing to feel everything, you can do anything. If you're willing to feel what stress feels like in your body, you can surf those sensations without needing a box of mint Milanos to stuff them back down. If you're willing to sit with the loneliness and breathe in and out in self-compassion, you can find peace in a simple home-cooked meal. If you're able to tolerate the physical manifestations of sadness in your chest and belly, you can take those sensations to the gym and metabolize them on the elliptical machine.
The other side of struggle is freedom. Yes, sometimes it makes sense to avoid challenge and struggle and temptation. When you're starting out, when you're trying to establish a new pattern, a new habit, a new set of choices, when you're sure you'll fail, when you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you can do real harm to yourself, when you don't feel up to the challenge. In those cases, stay away from the cookies. Keep them out of your house, out of your sight, and out of your reach. Make that dinner in advance and toss out your takeout menus. Cancel Netflix, or at least CBS All Access, and remove it from your home computer. But as you build the habit, start looking for opportunities to stress test your commitment. Go to the supermarket with the best cookie aisle and avoid that aisle on purpose. Then walk into that aisle for a couple of steps and back out again. But don't bump into anyone. Your shopping cart probably isn't going to beep as you reverse. Then walk down that aisle and keep going, not stopping for your favorite cookies. Then stop and stare at the Milano's and keep going. Then pick up a package, put it back down and keep going. Notice what comes up for you in that moment. Notice the thoughts. Notice the emotions. And most of all, notice the physical sensations. Because it's those physical sensations that we label as thoughts and emotions. Stress, loneliness, sadness, those are just names we give to the sensations of pressure, heat, numbness, racing heart, butterflies, and others that arise in our bodies. Drop below the name and stay with the sensation itself. Give it a number on a scale from zero to amputation without anesthesia. For most of us, these sensations that we've been spending decades doing anything to avoid are pretty mild compared to actual pain. And then give the sensation your full attention. Don't try to push it away, speed its departure, or resist in any way. Simply let it express yourself to your consciousness. That's the path to freedom. When you are willing to feel everything that's inside you, you no longer are held hostage by habits that sabotage your well-being in order to distract you from your internal reality. When you are confident in your ability to handle your inner states, you won't reach for sugar or booze or porn or other forms of destructive distraction whenever you feel a less than blissful state coming on. Be wise and be kind to yourself. Mindfulness of your feelings and sensations is a powerful tool for self-development and happiness, but you need to take it slowly. This is no place to be a badass, to go for the gold out of pride. Start small with feelings that you can tolerate. Don't go straight into the deepest traumas of your life, not alone, not without support. If you can't sense your body at all, start with simple practices like notice your right foot tapping, noticing what rises and falls as you breathe, feeling the air on the skin of the back of your hand. And gradually, with the support you need from family and friends, yes, but also from mental health professionals, if that's called for, allow more and more feelings and sensations to surface and reveal themselves. You may get to the bottom of them and you may not. In a sense, that's not the point. Instead, the point is to be able to tolerate more and more so that you're no longer compelled to act out as an avoidance strategy. I'm not suggesting that you go back to your equivalent of the Battle of Hamburger Hill in order to face your demons. I'm not saying to fill your house with cookies so you always have to struggle against temptation. 
Instead, I'm inviting you to look at situations that right now may feel scary and unfortunate as opportunities for liberation. Rather than viewing the world as a dangerous neighborhood where you might be mugged at any moment if you stray from your safe space, grow to see it as an arena where you stride with resolve and dignity. Sure, you'll win some, you'll lose some. Expect that. Use both the wins and the losses to get wiser about yourself, to grow your capacity to feel everything, because that kind of joy is so much better than a cookie, because that kind of joy is so much better than the safety of a self-imposed cage. So I hope this has been helpful. This is the first one that I've done. I love your thoughts. I love feedback. You can uh, give feedback in the comments of this blog post, and you can also do it on the Facebook Plant Yourself page or just email me hj at plantyourself.com and let me know what you think. Is this helpful? Are there other topics you'd like me to write and talk about? And let me know how else I can be helpful to you on your journey. As always, be well, my friends. So if you appreciate the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help support the mission of the show, there's a few easy ways to do it. One is to just go to wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Let other people know about it. Give us some stars. Give us some love. And that really helps us be found by more people. Something else, of course, you can do is let someone know about this podcast, someone uh, who you think would benefit. Send them maybe a couple of episodes that you think would uh, pique their interest or just uh, ask them to subscribe in general. And third, you can join arms and become a patron, a financial supporter of this show. You may have noticed that there's no advertising in the show and it's free for everyone and it's supported, paid for by those who can afford it. So if you would like to make a one time contribution or an ongoing monthly pledge, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. All right. Time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Dawn, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Kara Adams, Tom Fonsek, Jeanette Benham, Gail Assert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Toronto Vizo, Gio and Carol Argitati, Jody Friesner, with Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. The Equally Mysterious, Tracy Z, Aviva L, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harpers and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R, Susan Laverty, The Panda, Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, The Plant, Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Shannon Hirschman, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzumak, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divid, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Lori Fanny, Lenane Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Leenan. Petty D. Martino, Mike and Donna Carson, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bashford, Gunn Marie Hagen, Tracy Gullis, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. 
Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>